The Last Word with Matt Cooper. John Gibbons is on his holidays, but we're going to continue with the environment spot during his absence. And we're delighted we have Sive O'Neill with us today, coordinator for the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition. Good evening to you, Sive. Good evening, Matt. Good to be on the show. Well, there's been a bit of a kerfuffle today at the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's home in Yorkshire. The billionaire doesn't spend a lot of time there and he wasn't there today because he's away with his family on holidays. But Greenpeace came along and climbed onto the roof of his house and put up a big black tarpaulin, a black cloth to protest about the decision by Sunak to grant further North Sea oil extraction licences. Tell us what his government plans to do in getting new oil out of the North Sea. Well, clearly over the last year, Rishi Sunak has decided to use climate change as a weapon in British politics. Uh, Previously, he's regarded as being quite neutral on climate change. But since the Uxbridge by-election, which took place last week, where the Conservatives managed to hold on to a seat because they campaigned against a Labour proposal to introduce low emission zone measures. um, Now he seems to see uh, climate action as something that he can weaponise to hold on to a few seats, even even though the Labour Party are well ahead in the polls. So what he's actually doing here is is reiterating a policy change that was made last year to expand uh, oil and gas exploration in the North Sea. But the reality is those uh, areas have very little oil and gas left. It's very much a dying industry. There's more decommissioning happening there than anything else at the moment. And what he's doing is essentially just clearly undermining climate science from his own climate change committee, from the International Energy Agency. All of these bodies are saying we have to leave all fossil fuels in the ground. We can't afford to be exploring. But also what it does is he's clearly um, pitching it politically uh, to kind of undermine a cross-party consensus between the Labour and Tory parties and even the Lib Dems as well. They all agreed uh, to sign up to the climate law in the UK, which at the time was a landmark piece of legislation. We only introduced a similar piece of legislation about uh, 13 years later. So this uh, proposal to expand oil and gas exploration is not going to do anything for Britain's energy security or energy prices because it's just going to be sold onto international markets. So he says, Rishi Sudok says that the UK is decarbonising away and he's only doing these because it makes sense to do so. But the reality is that he's undermining the uh, ability of the UK to, to meet its own carbon budgets. And his government has stalled onshore wind energy and made various aspects of the decarbonisation process much more difficult. However, he claims that it will not impact on Britain's ability to get to net zero by 2050. He seems hopeful that oil and gas will be found and he says then it would be used in Britain and that it would prevent the damage that would be caused by importing large amounts of oil and gas from other countries. You see, that that's the strange thing. All of those arguments have been really knocked on their head by both the Climate Change Committee and other energy experts. The UK doesn't import 
very much, if any, uh, Russian oil and gas. Um, so this is really nothing to do with Russia and it's nothing to do with energy security. Um, just like Ireland, uh, you know, the UK has a, a huge coastline, fantastic wind resources. It's well connected and could be better connected to continental Europe in terms of its electricity connections. So all of this is really um, an attempt to, I suppose, placate the fossil fuel industry instead of listening to the climate scientists and his own advisory body, which is actually telling the government that the UK is not on course to meet its own targets and to stay within its carbon budgets. So I don't know who he's listening to, but he's not listening to the climate experts. But Sive, would you not think that if the licences are issued, that the exploration firms will take them and that they will spend the money and that there's a possibility that they will find oil and gas which will be extracted and burnt, adding to carbon emissions? Um, absolutely. And that's the danger. And that's the reason why uh, Greenpeace are calling him a climate arsonist, um, because essentially um, once these uh, sites have been um, opened up for exploration, it creates what we call these lock-in dependencies. Once, you know, the companies have invested so much capital in getting the oil and gas out of the ground, they'll want to extract every last molecule. And that means that, you know, it's very, very difficult to reverse out of uh, oil and gas dependency once once you start expanding. And we have a similar challenge here in Ireland because even though there's a government ban excuse me, on new licences, we still have existing licences. And for example, on the Carob, um, which doesn't have much gas left in it, there are developers looking to expand the field and use a very outdated energy charter treaty to kind of threaten the minister uh, if, if he doesn't grant them a licence. So we have... Um, we have similar challenges. We basically need to reverse out of supporting this industry and get to grips with accelerating renewables, even though that too is, is it has proven to be challenging. Okay, what's going on in Britain is interesting though, as you mentioned, because the Conservatives managed to hold the seat in Uxbridge based on a campaign against extending uh, the charges in relation to using cars in particular areas. And but there's one grifter in particular uh, who was very involved in the Brexit negotiations on behalf of Boris Johnson, David Frost, and he's now becoming a climate spokesperson uh, for whatever reasons. And for example, I'll give you one that he said this week um, the Transport Action Network uh, tweeted that Rishi Sunak has identified a huge problem in the UK as he says most people are dependent on their cars and Frost says it's not a problem it's a good thing in poorer countries people depend on public transport and bikes when they get rich they want cars because they bring freedom public transport will never be good enough for a free people to move around on would this suggest that with Brexit having dominated the culture wars in the UK in recent years, climate change is next on the agenda and that could spill over into Ireland. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a really great example of the kind of language that's used to tip the discussion away from a policy focus and all the, the benefits in climate and health and environment and, and equality and to turn it into something that kind of threatens people's sense of freedom and security. And sometimes that's mixed in at a local level and on social media with all kinds of other misinformation and nonsense. I mean, really, you know, mad stuff altogether. 
So it is it is quite worrying to see that because as I said earlier, in Britain, despite the huge for you know, kind of very colourful differences between a lot of the political parties, on climate there was a very strong kind of overarching consensus about the climate law and about the targets and pretty much about a lot of the policies that would have to be implemented along the way. And that's starting to fragment now, which is worrying. And yes, we can see some of that creeping into political discourse here in Ireland. So it's all the more reason for politicians to be, on the one hand, very well briefed so that they're not spouting nonsense. Uh, We've heard some worrying nonsense, I'm afraid, from our own Taoiseach in recent weeks saying that, you know, um, we might as well... um, Uh, build more roads if we're only going to divert a small amount of traffic onto rail, completely misunderstanding the challenge of decarbonising the transport sector. And, you know, when that misunderstanding and misrepresentation is out there, it just feeds the narrative that the whole thing is really just a conspiracy by these lefties to keep us all trapped in our houses. Well, I'll give you another example, Saif, because we're going to talk about what happened in climate change globally in the month of July. But this same guy, David Frost, who was a key Boris Johnson negotiator on Brexit for a whiskey salesman as well as it happens he's had another climate change line he's been pushing in recent weeks he's saying that hotter temperatures are a good thing because the real problems the world faces is the cold that 20 times as many people die because of cold weather than because of warm weather what do you make of that? Yeah, and interestingly, again, our own Taoiseach has has been heard making uh, similar pronouncements. Uh, This is really alarming. Um, There's a a book that's been published recently by Jeff Goodall called The Heat Will Get You First. And it's all about this invisible and very hard to, you know, uh, create images for uh, threat that rising temperatures are posing to billions of people on the planet. So two billion people have experienced... uh, temperatures that are three times more likely to be caused by climate change this summer in July alone. And the effect of all the migration into cities means that, and cities are even hotter than rural areas because of the urban heat island effect, which makes them up to five or 10 degrees hotter. So the risk that is um, there to people who don't have enough shelter from rising temperatures is extreme. And in fact, the 2022 heat wave in the UK caused thousands of deaths. I wasn't able to get a figure for it in time, but there have been studies directly linking that heat wave with with deaths. Now, of course, people can die of cold temperatures. That is absolutely true. But it's also because of the kind of buildings people are living in. And, you know, if you have poorly designed buildings um, that are reliant on fossil fuels for heating, people are exposed to all kinds of problems and damp and everything else. So the the issue is really one of energy poverty and of the failure to retrofit buildings. But when we're retrofitting, we also have to be mindful now of rising temperatures and we need to heat stress our buildings as we go into the future, make sure that there's ventilation and ways for the buildings to cool down as well. And that will be particularly important in the UK. So it's surprising that these uh, chaps are coming out with all this nonsense because their own voters in the southeast of England have experienced waves of heat waves over the last few years uh, where you know people are 
are suffering unbearable temperatures without air conditioning. Air conditioning is rare in the UK. So the southeast of England um, is increasingly taking on a climate that's more like the Mediterranean. And that means that they're going to have to shift their position politically or they'll just eventually lose support for people who are suffering as a result of all this weather. You mentioned retrofitting there and that brings us home to Ireland where it's been revealed that a home retrofit scheme for low-income households is actually putting in gas and oil systems rather than heat pump systems, apparently on the grounds of cost. What are we to make of that? Yeah, this seems to be an outrageous anomaly and it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, The government's climate action plan spending billions over the next decade on retrofitting and yet there are direct government uh, grants still going into houses where they're replacing basically clapped out oil and gas boilers with new gas and oil boilers. And uh, Sinn Féin put down a parliamentary question to get the uh, statistics for this, which are really quite alarming um, in terms of the numbers of these gas and oil boilers that are that have um, been installed. So um, I think there is hundreds of them. I can't quite pull up the number now. But 603 it's, uh, homes. Alarming. Yeah, 603 homes were provided with a heating That's system it. upgrade. Only 20 got the heat pump. 348 got gas. 235 got oil. But I suppose maybe the reason is that some houses, particularly older houses, built before the 1940s, 40s and 50s were different materials, different techniques. They're just not compatible with current insulation methods that the cost as well is so big that we're going to have to put in these oil and gas probably because they just won't suit heat pumps and new ways of trying to heat homes. Um, that's, um, I think that's to just jump too quickly to the conclusion that replacement is the only solution. What I imagine has happened with these um, types of grants is that uh, people who are you know, eligible for this kind of support are living in, you know, kind of older houses. The the boiler kicks out where they only last whatever length of time, 10, 15 years. And because of their eligibility, can they claim under this grant for a replacement? Now, what should happen there is that they should be immediately sent for a, a review, uh, an assessment under the SEAI scheme. The house should be looked at in terms of what other measures can be introduced quickly and rapidly, in the case of a non-functioning boiler, to insulate the house, repairing any drafts, installing more insulation. And then the houses should be targeted uh, for a home energy retrofit. And they would probably be eligible for that anyway. It's just that if the boilers fail in the middle of winter, people have no heating unless they're replaced. So the issue is to try to catch those houses before they get to the point where the boiler needs to be replaced. And that means, you know, that those kind of uh, poor quality housing, local authority housing dating from certain periods should be targeted as a priority under the other schemes that provide for a 100% retrofit grant. So it's a question of rejigging the grant schemes and being aware that there are some people who are not going to step up and apply for it until something sort of fails in, in the heating system. And that's already too late. Okay. So it's, it's a kind of mismatch between supply and demand, really. Thank you, Saif O'Neill, coordinator for the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition, for standing in for John Gibbons on our environment spot this week. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30. Today.